You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Well, good morning. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 57. Psalm 57. I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to be here this morning. I love this church. I love your pastor, Robbie. I love your elders. I love your staff. This church is is such an important part of my own spiritual journey and pilgrimage, and I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to uh, be here and spend some time in God's Word together. Thank you so much for the invitation, uh, especially at this important season, this important juncture in our nation and in our, our, our province as, as we are uh, fighting this, uh, this virus and dealing with everything that goes along with it. You know, one thing that I've noticed is that, is that the COVID-19 pandemic has been something that has compounded pressure. It it has been something that has made things that normally would be difficult in usual circumstances that much more difficult. In fact, everything's more difficult. I mean, work is more difficult, school is more difficult, but if work to begin with, let's say if you were unemployed before COVID-19, the pressure of finding a job has compounded. It's become more difficult. If you were struggling as a student, with in-person classes, and now you're moving online, the pressure has now compounded. If your marriage was falling apart before all of this started to take place, and now you're stuck at home with one another, the, the pressure of dealing with those issues is now compounded. If you've been battling an illness or going in and out of hospital for treatments and and appointments, that was difficult under normal circumstances, but now with all of the protocols at the hospitals and the clinics and no one can come with you and all of these barriers and all this, it's become compounded. The pressure is increasing. Things that would normally overwhelm us have become that much more overwhelming. Psalm 57 is a prayer to be prayed when we're under pressure. Let's read it together. It says, to the choir master, according to do not destroy, a mictum of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to the God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. 
I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. We see from this beautiful psalm that David is under pressure. He finds himself in a cave running from Saul. The the title of the text says that this is written to the choir master, the worship leader. And it was written according to do not destroy. That most likely would have been a common familiar melody that, that the lyrics to this song were to be sung to. It says that it's a mictum. We don't know what mictum means. It's a, it's a Hebrew musical term. We just know that we're sort of in the mictum section of our Bibles here. Psalm 56, 57, 58, 59, and 60 are all called mictums uh, in God's word. Psalm 16 is the only other psalm that, is, uh, that, is, that has that, uh, that title. And the context here is David is fleeing from Saul in the cave. David is having to shelter in place. David is forced by the government to shelter in place, but his circumstances are a little bit uh, different. David is not sheltering in place because the government is trying to protect him. David is sheltering in place because he is being protected from the government. And the government happens to be his father-in-law and happens to be the father of his best friend. Saul was king. David was the true anointed king, and listen, the transition of power was not going smoothly. David had seen spears thrown at him. David had to climb out of a window, and his wife had to do the Ferris Bueller thing with the mannequin in the bed so that David could run away because Saul was intent upon killing David, and now he is hiding in a cave. You can see as you look at Psalm 57 at at verse 3 right there in the middle and at the end of verse 6 we have these two selahs. This is again is a a Hebrew musical term and these two selahs divide our psalm today into three parts. Three things that we need to think about. If, if, If we are going to be praying under pressure if we are going to make it through and grow in all the ways God would have us to grow and entrust him in all of the ways he would want us to trust him in this season, there are three three areas of emphasis that we can focus on from this psalm. The first one is this, seeking his protection. Seeking his protection. David says in verse one, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge, in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. The word mercy in this opening, a couplet is repeated twice, be merciful to me, be merciful to me, and then my soul takes refuge, I will take refuge. David is seeking mercy and he is seeking a refuge. A refuge is a place of protection. And notice what David is most concerned about. He says, be merciful to me, O God, for in you my soul takes refuge. Notice how David doesn't simply say, God, be merciful to me and just end this whole situation. 
He doesn't say, be merciful to me and just stop Saul from coming after me. Be merciful to me and get me out of this cave. Be merciful to me and change my situation. David does not pray about his situation, about his circumstances. He prays about his soul, a telltale sign of our maturity in Christ is whether or not we're concerned about God changing our circumstances or whether we're concerned about God growing us spiritually. In you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. David uses this beautiful metaphor, in the shadow of your wings. David is not speaking literally here. He, this, is, this is a poem. God doesn't have wings. God is a, is a spirit. It's interesting here, though, how different terms and phrases and idioms get passed down from generation to generation. There are certain things that my parents say and I say all of the time. If you were to meet my mom or my dad, you would hear certain repeated, there are just certain Duncanisms that get used, toodaloo when you say goodbye or good good when you agree with something that someone is saying or sort of as a filler in conversation. These are things that I've just heard growing up. I've learned them from my parents and they probably learned them from their grandparents. Well, that phrase, in the shadow of your wings, first appears in the book of Ruth. And it's Boaz who looks on Ruth and marvels that this woman from Moab has come to Israel to dwell under the shadow of God's wings. And then Ruth actually turns around when she proposes to Boaz towards the end of the book, she uses the same phrase. Ruth and Boaz were David's great-grandparents. So David most likely learned this phrase from his family, from his upbringing. And then at David, as we know, David's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren, grandchild is, physically speaking, is Jesus Christ our Savior. And Jesus used this very phrase in Matthew chapter 23. I'll show it to you here on the screen. Jesus comes to uh, Jerusalem. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing Jesus here is saying that he is the God, he is God in flesh who will gather us under our wings. If we want to know how to be safe, if we want to know how our soul can take refuge, then we need to look no further than Jesus Christ. It's his gospel, it's his power, it's his grace, it's his death, burial, and resurrection where we can truly find refuge under the shadow of his wings. And then verse 1, going back to Psalm 57, says, Till the storms of destruction pass by. I think one of the most important words in this psalm is the word till. One of the most important words for us to remember in the circumstance and situation where we find ourselves in right now is the word till. You see, when we seek protection in God, when we remind ourselves of his greatness and his mercy, when we find shelter in the shadow of his wings, we get a renewed sense of perspective. 
In the last couple of weeks, you guys have been going through Psalm 90 on Sunday mornings, which tells us, Lord, teach us to number our days. Why? What comes when we number our days, when we actually calculate the calendar? What happens? We get a heart of wisdom. We get a sense of perspective. We understand that it's not always going to be this way. The storms of destruction will pass by. In verse two, he says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He's crying out in prayer. This is how we most notably find our protection in him is through prayer. He cries out and he calls God the God most high. We can trust that the storms of protection, the the storms of destruction will pass by as we rely on the God most high. He is above the storm. He's bigger than the storm. Remember when we used to be able to fly around in airplanes? Remember that? You used to go to the airport and and get on a plane and you'd go to another place that that hardly ever happens uh, anymore. But remember sometimes when it would be raining on the tarmac and then you'd take off in the plane, you'd get up above the clouds and you'd see, and it's, you're looking at things from a whole different, you're above the storm. God is a God most high. And sometimes in our life, whatever situation or challenge or problem we are facing, it can be so close to us and so right in front of us, we lose perspective. My hands are not that big, but if I put my hand right in front of my face, that's all that I can see. I can't see over, it's the only thing in my life. And sometimes our problems, our struggles can be the only thing in our life. But if we seek shelter under God's wings, if we remember that God is most high and stop looking at the thing right in front of us and seeking the Lord, we get get a sense of perspective and the thing that seems so big we realize in the context of our world is not that big. God's plans are like an ocean and what we are going through right now is like a tiny drop of water. He is God most high. And then I love what David says here, until the storms of destruction pass by. So he knows that there's temporary but but look at what he says in verse 2 and don't miss this to God who fulfills his purpose for me. When we think about the challenges that we're facing, loved ones, we need to understand, first of all, first of all, that they're temporary, but secondly, that there's a purpose behind them. There is a purpose behind them. David knew his purpose. David is writing this psalm. We find David in the cave two different times in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 22 and 1 Samuel chapter 24. But back in 1 Samuel 16, David had already been anointed king. He knew that he was going to be king. So David was able to understand. He knew he wasn't always going to be in this cave. He knew that he was destined for the throne. And so he knew God must have some sort of a purpose for me to be out here in the wilderness, in the cave. And he's going to fulfill that for me. David was the anointed king. He knew that there was a purpose in the suffering that he was going through. Again, fast forward to Jesus, the son of David, the son of God. He also is the anointed king. And Jesus had a purpose. There was a purpose in his suffering, the greatest purpose of all, our redemption, our salvation for the glory of God. And so loved ones, we, as we find ourselves 
in Christ, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, we can know and understand that whatever suffering we go, because we look at David and the purpose of his suffering, we look at our Savior, Jesus, and the purpose of his suffering, we can look at whatever cave we find ourselves in, whatever hardship, whatever difficulty we may struggle with, we know that God has a purpose for us. I mean, we see this so clearly in Romans 8, 28, don't we? Romans 8, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, hands up if you love God, I love God, not perfectly, but I love him because he loved me first. So this applies to all of us who love God, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called, uh, called according to, here it comes, his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is the purpose, that we would become more like Jesus Christ, the image of his son. It's all part of God's plan. He foreknew it. God causes all things to come together for our good. It doesn't mean that all things are good. Doesn't mean that everything that's happening in our world is good. Doesn't mean that everything you're going through right now is good. But we serve a God who can take even bad things and make them work together to accomplish good. This is the confidence that David had. This is the confidence that we have, this sense of purpose. Then in verse three, he says, he will send from heaven and save me. Even though he's God most high, David says, he will send from heaven. He's, he's God most high, but he's gonna come near. He's going to send from heaven and he's going to save me, he will put to shame him who tramples on me. Saul and all of the people in, in Saul's administration who were trying to make life difficult for David. David has this sense of confidence. And then right there in the middle of verse three, we have our first Selah. So this is our first break or pause in the psalm. Again, we're not clear exactly on what Selah means, but it sounds like the Hebrew word for lift up. And so some Hebrew scholars means that this is like lift up your voices to sing louder or have a key change or to, or to have a, some sort of musical interlude or to lift up your hands from the instrument like a rest, like a pause. And so just think for a moment right now, just pause. Are you, is your soul taking refuge under the shadow of God's wings? Are you more concerned about your spiritual health than you are about your present circumstances? Are you allowing your problems to get right in front of your face and not having a sense of perspective? Maybe you need to just even in a quiet breath prayer right now, confess those things to the Lord during this Selah, during this pause. Are you trusting that God has a purpose for all that's happening right now? Now let's look at the rest of verse three. He says, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Here's the second thing we need to do if we're gonna be finding shelter in God's wings. It's trusting his promises. It's trusting his promises. He says he'll send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. These are two very, very important words in the Old Testament. We'll start with steadfast love. 
Uh, This is translated a number of different ways in a number of different translations, but it's almost always translated with a a hyphenated compound English word. It's one word in Hebrew, but there's almost always multiple words that uh, that are being used in English to try to capture all that this word means. The word is hesed. Has said, let me show you a definition from an Old Testament scholar, Daniel Block, about has said. He says, has said is one of those Hebrew words whose meaning cannot be captured in one English word. This is a strong relational term that wraps up in itself an entire cluster of concepts. All the positive attributes of God, love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty, covenant faithfulness, in short, The quality that moves a person to act for the benefit of another without respect to the advantage it might bring to the one who expresses it. This is what hesed is. This is who God is, according to a brilliant Hebrew scholar, Daniel Block. And now let's let's break it down. So this is a Hebrew scholar. Now let's look at a children's author. Here's how Sally Lloyd-Jones describes hesed so beautifully. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That is what hesed is. Whether you want to use it in theological terms like Daniel Block, whether you want to use it in in language a child can understand, this is a powerful and beautiful word. And David is confident that it's going to be sent his way. Again, look at the end of verse 3. God will send out his steadfast love his promises, and then his faithfulness. The Hebrew word there is amet. It, it's, it's translated a number of different ways in the, in the, in the ESV or in our English Bibles. It, truth, stability, reliability, firmness, trustworthy. When Jethro's giving advice to Moses to, to delegate responsibility, he tells them to find men of amet, trustworthy men, reliable, faithful men who will be able to carry out the, the responsibilities that Jethro was telling Moses to carry out. God can be relied upon. He is trustworthy. We can trust in his promises. He is a God of steadfast love. We can trust in his promises. Here's a couple of my favorite promises that I find myself repeating day after day. Isaiah 41 verse 10, fear not, fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is a God of steadfast love, never giving up, always and forever. If he said he will do this, we can trust in that promise. He is a God of of Amet. He speaks the truth. He is a God of faithfulness. If he said he will do this, he will. And then my, my other uh, favorite verse promise that I often cling to is Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, even from childhood I've loved this verse. It is the Lord who goes before you. I think somehow we thought that like on January 1st when 2020 ended, that things would somehow just get all better just because the calendar changed. No, that's not how it works. And and. Yet God is in front of us. He already knows what this year is going to look like. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Are you trusting in his promises? Do you believe that he is a God, as it says in verse 3, a God of steadfast love and faithfulness? No matter what I'm up against, I know that God will come through. 
And look at what David is up against here. Verse four, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. He feels like he's, he's in the midst of lions. First Peter 5 tells us that our enemy, Satan, roams around like a roaring lion. Fiery beasts there doesn't mean that the beasts are on fire, but they're fired up with rage. They're so angry with him. And notice Dave, David's focusing in on their mouths. He says, he says their teeth are spears and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords. You know what? David was the kind of guy, I mean, he could handle himself physically. I mean, Goliath, no problem. The Philistines, you know, he, he could handle himself in hand-to-hand combat, combat. But it's interesting when you, when you read the Psalms, the thing David had the hardest thing with was words. What people said about him, what people said to him, lies, put-downs, profanities, and, and think about all of the words, everything that's being, there's so much talking in our world right now. So much smug intellectual drivel, so much inflamed, angry language. And it wears on us that our, 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 our mouths have the capacity to bring such power and beauty and life, but our words can also be sword thrusts. We need to be careful about what we're listening to. We need to be careful also about what we're saying, what we're writing and posting. David is concerned again. He's concerned about what is being said to him and about him. What is being whispered in the ear of Saul to spur him on to pursue and attack David who was nothing but loyal to him. And then I love this, I love this. After David is thinking about what's going on and what's coming out of other people's mouths, look at how David uses his mouth. Verse five, be exalted, O God. Love that song that we just sang. I I will exalt you. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That's how David is gonna use his mouth. He's gonna use his mouth to sing praise to the one and only true God. Just like the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Here we have, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And David expresses this statement of confidence. He's so confident that God's gonna come through and fulfill his, his promises Notice how verse six changes to the past tense. He's visualizing what's good. It hasn't even happened yet, but he's so confident that God is going to work that he, he starts to write as though he's looking back. It says, they set, past tense, they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. This, it's a comical, like it's a slapstick kind of a situation. They're digging the pit and thinking, David's gonna end up in here. This is gonna be awesome. We're finally gonna get him. They're digging the pit. They're digging the pit. Oh, they've, they're the ones who end up falling into it. Again, this hasn't happened yet, but this is what David is expecting to happen. He's so confident, such a reversal. It's, it's so ironic that the enemies are planning to harm David and they end up being the ones that are harmed. It's like Naaman and Mordecai in the book of 
Esther. Naaman builds these massive gallows. He wants to see Mordecai hung and executed. And then Naaman is the one who ends up going to those gallows. God always wins. God cannot be stopped. I remember back in November of 2020, that feels like three years ago, we were able to meet at 30% capacity and um, we were a little bit ahead of this region because our church is in a Peel region. So there were some more restrictions on us uh, as a church at that time. But I was really convicted that our church hadn't been gathering for prayer now, during that season when we were able to, we were gathering at 30% capacity on Sunday morning, but we hadn't had a midweek prayer meeting in month, months. And so I, I let the small group leaders know, I let our church know, I sent out some videos, got some posts and, and made, made this change, this challenge on Wednesday, November 11th, we are going to gather for a prayer meeting at the facility. Well, that Monday, the region of Peel announced more restrictions and we, we couldn't gather at 30% capacity anymore. So we shifted the whole thing. It was gonna be this big in-person prayer gathering. We shifted the whole thing online. So then Wednesday night, everyone's getting together online. They've got their Facebook open with their small group or sorry, their, what's it called? A Zoom open with their small group and they've got YouTube open. We're gonna live stream. It's one of our very first live streams ever. We're gonna live stream this prayer meeting. It's gonna be awesome. The church is all gonna be together and we're gonna pray. It's gonna be amazing. And then on November 11th, from about 7.23 p.m. until about 8.30 p.m., you can Google this, this is true, YouTube went down. Like, when does that ever happen? Like, I'm talking in more than one country for more than three minutes, like for the whole time when we were supposed to be running this online prayer meeting, YouTube went down. Now, I'm not saying that the enemy brought down YouTube, because God's always working in multiple ways. The enemy's always working in multiple ways. So I, I, listen, all I know is that something was trying to stop our church family from praying at that moment. But then something beautiful happened. You see, we had already sent out these, these prayer guides of how we were gonna pray that night, how we were gonna lead them on YouTube. And so what happened is all of our small group leaders and all of our youth leaders and everyone who was gathering online in these little Zoom conversations, they all just started praying. And we had our best prayer meeting in the history of our church. Take that, Satan. You know, you dig a pit, you, like you, YouTube gets, is offline, who cares? God's never offline, okay? God doesn't ever have breakdowns or nothing like that. We can be trusting in him at all times. He always wins. He cannot be stopped. And what we need is the courage and the confidence and the conviction to keep moving forward. Trusting not in ourselves or our own wisdom, trusting in his promises because he is a God of steadfast love. So we're seeking his protection. We're trusting his promises. And then lastly, we are singing his praise. We are singing his praise. Verse seven, my heart, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. 
Notice it starts with the heart. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So David says, my heart is steadfast. My heart's, that word steadfast means it's determined, it's established, it's prepared, it's ready. This is where my heart is at. And then my heart is going to out overflow with praise out of my mouth. Now I gotta, I gotta, I gotta say, and I gotta ask, that when you were gathering online with your church family, did you sing this morning? And I gotta ask, because if you didn't, I, I, I gotta admit, there have been Sunday mornings where I didn't sing. There were Sunday mornings where I, I, I didn't stand up. There were Sunday mornings where I just stayed on my couch or tried to manage my, uh, my kids and, and, and help them and, and think that I'm somehow participating in worship while I'm doing something else. Listen, did you sing? Because it's absolutely vital that if we are going to win this battle that we are in, we must win it through worshiping. We must be determined to sing. David was singing in the cave. I don't know what the acoustics were like in there, probably a lot of reverb. But he was singing. His heart was steadfast, and because that was happening in his heart, some beautiful things were coming out of his mouth. Even though he was going through these difficult times, I think about that song, Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. All my days, yes, I will. It's a decision to worship, a decision to sing. David gives gave some reasons for why he's singing this way. Verse eight, awake my glory, awake, O oh harp and lyre. He's telling the keys, start vamping. He's telling the drummer, you know, count us in. Awake, he's, he's get, get going, harp and lyre. He's telling, he's getting the band, get ready. Get, he's getting the earbuds in, he's ready to sing. He says, I will awake the dawn. Think about dawn. I left my house this morning, I left Brampton, it was dark, and I, I, I arrived here and it was, it was dawn. The sun had come up. It's something we so often take for granted. We forget that that sun that comes up, it really just appears to come up, is, is actually 149 million kilometers away. Its temperature on the surface is 5,500 degrees Celsius. At its core, it's 15 million degrees Celsius. We are rotating every 24 hours, which seems, you might think, well, the earth must be rotating really slowly if it takes a whole day for dawn to come. But because the earth is so big, we're rotating at 1,600 kilometers an hour. In order for dawn to happen, we are in orbit, spinning around this massive ball of gas. We're hurtling through space and spinning while all of that is happening. Just so that dawn can happen. Think about that. I will awake the dawn. I will worship just because the sun came up. That's enough reason. I was reading 
as many of us do, trying to read through the Bible uh, every year. And so reading in Genesis chapter 1 earlier uh, in the year, Genesis chapter 1 verse 14. It says, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Now notice this, and let them be signs and for seasons and for days and for years. A massive sphere of gas that's burning at 15 million degrees Celsius. It's just there as a sign for seasons, for years, years like 2020, for days like Sunday, January 10th. It's just one of billions of trillions of gazillions of other spheres of burning gas. But this sun and this moon are appointed to be a sign for seasons, for years. Just, just stop. Just think about this for a minute. Awake the dawn. Just stop here for a minute. We keep talking about how so much has been disrupted in our life, academically disrupted, vocationally disrupted, economically disrupted, our mobility has been disrupted, our family has been disrupted, all of these things, all of these disruptions, but you know what? Something's still happening, this. The earth is rotating around the sun. For years, and for days, and for seasons. There's so much that has changed and so much that's different. I mean, even the Buffalo Bills won a football game, a playoff game. So much has changed. And yet, the sun comes up every day. As the old hymn says, summer and winter and springtime and harvest. Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. You want a reason to worship this morning? The sun came up. That is awesome. That is such a reason to praise and give glory to God. And that sun is a sign. That sun is a sign that whatever we're going through, whatever happens to be right in front of our face at the time, that there is a plan and there is a purpose. That the leaves fell off the trees this autumn just like they do every autumn. The sun came and fell in the winter and it will melt again in the spring. These are constants. These are examples of God's utter faithfulness. And so we say, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118. We experience his mercies new every morning. Lamentations 3. Though sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30 verse 5. Awake the dawn. Then verse 9 says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will give thanks. Loved ones, thanksgiving is so vitally important. Coming out of one of the most dark and difficult times uh, in my life about five or, or six years ago, one of the things that I learned, a discipline that I began to practice because so much of what was going wrong in my, my own life was a sense, a sense of discontentment. 
and read Romans 1. Romans 1, the, the core sin in, in, in the unfolding of all that went wrong in humanity as, it descri- as it's described in Romans 1, it says that they did not give thanks to God. So much goes wrong when we lose that sense of thankfulness, of gratitude. And so a, a discipline that I've picked up is every day to make a list of 10 things that I'm thankful for. And I, I don't allow myself to, to repeat. I mean, I've got, I've got a beautiful wife and four kids. I mean, that would cover off, you know, five every single, every single week. And so I clump them together every, every once in a while or I thank God for them individually. I try to scan the horizon of my life and see how God is working and give thanks to him. So David's looking around the cave and he's still finding things that he can be thankful for. And then look at the, the, the focus of David. He began by focusing on his soul and not on his circumstances, but he doesn't just remain focused on himself. He says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. David's on mission here. He's not just concerned about survival. He's not just concerned about his convenience or about his rights. No, he's concerned about the glory of God being known among the nation. That was the whole point of David and Goliath. That's what David told Goliath. This is happening so that God would be glorified among the nations. That was David's heart. Worship is a witness that when we put God at the center, other people notice This is God's purpose, that he would be known, that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And David is on that mission. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. And then verse 10, this is like the chorus of the the song. He says, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds in verse 11, exact same as, as what was written in verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be up over all the earth. Loved ones, I don't know what 2021 has in store Uh, for us. I don't know what it has in store for us as a Christian church living in in, in Southern Ontario, as uh, believers. I don't know what it means for you as an individual. I don't know what it means for Hope Bible Church. I don't know what it means for our church up uh, in Mississauga. But one thing I do know is that if we make our focus on the glory of God, if we make our focus on God being exalted, if we continue to trust in his steadfast love and in his faithfulness, loved ones, we can't go wrong because God always wins and God always gets his way. So if we're going to dwell in the shadow of God's wings, if we're going to pray under pressure, we're seeking his protection, we're trusting his promises, we're singing his praise. It starts in our hearts and then it overflows in praise out of our mouths. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters right now gathered around smartphones or computer screens or televisions in living rooms or sitting at kitchen tables, Lord, wherever they may find themselves. I pray, Lord, 
that there would not be one person listening here who is not running to you for shelter and protection under the shadow of your wings. Lord, I pray that there would not be one person here, Lord, who is not running to you and leaning on you and depending on you. Lord, right now our hearts are being pulled in so many directions. There's so much pressure. There's so much confusion. There's so much welling up inside of all of us, Lord God. I pray that we would have hearts that are steadfast and that we would have mouths that sing your praise. That we would decide from the heart, from the inside out, Lord God, that we would decide to sing. That we would say, yes, I will sing your praise. I will worship you. I know everything isn't neat and tidy. I know it's not all working out the way that I wanted, but I can be confident that it's working according to your plan and your purpose to conform me into the image of your son. I know it's working according to your plan and your purpose that you would be exalted and glorified in all the earth. And so, Lord, I pray that you would draw us close to you. I pray that you would examine our hearts right now in this moment. And, Lord, I pray that out of our hearts and out of our mouths would flow worship and praise that is so honoring and so glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.